This is a podcast by Householders Options to Protect the Environment, Hope Australia. We are a community environmental education and capacity building organisation based in Toowoomba, South East Queensland, Australia. This is a podcast in the series Eco Social Work in Australia. It was produced for Hope Australia in Toowoomba, Queensland, on and adjacent to the traditional lands of the Jarawa, Guyabal, Yugara and Waka Waka peoples. Hope pays respect to the past, present and emerging leaders of all First Nations people in this country and acknowledges the unique contribution that their cultures make to contemporary Australia. Hello, my name is Andrew Nicholson and I am the producer of the Eco-Social Work in Australia podcast series. The Social Work Student Perspective on Eco-Social Practice offers interesting insights into the principles of practice for a number of reasons. Almost by definition, many students will come to an eco-social framing of practice with little or no prior experience, theoretical preferences or practice assumptions. In addition to presenting an intellectual tabula rasa and the freshness of view which often goes with it, students in training are encouraged systematically to reflect and think critically about their learning and practice placement experience. My guest on this episode of the podcast series, Bailey Johnson, brings such a fresh and critical pair of eyes to the eco-social work field. At time of interview, Bailey was heading into his final training year within a four-year Bachelor of Social Work training course conducted by the University of Queensland in Brisbane, Australia, and he was soon to become Secretary of the University of Queensland Social Work Society. He undertook his first supervised 500-hour practice placement, which had an eco-social work orientation, in the first half of 2022. During that time, Bailey worked with the Darling Downs Environment Council, a peak regional environment group in southeast Queensland, Australia, dedicated to the preservation and protection of the environment, natural, built and managed, and the enhancement of values which promote sustainability. In our discussion, Bailey draws upon that first placement experience and his subsequent critical reflections on eco-social practice to answer some of the standard questions asked of all guests throughout this series. So welcome, Bailey. It's a pleasure to talk with you today. Thank you, Andy, for having me on. It's, it's a real privilege. Okay, well, let's jump straight in and start the conversa- conversation today with my first question uh, for you, which is this. For you, what is eco-social work practice in 2022 and how did you develop your interest? And as you frame your answer, could you perhaps give us some background insights into why you chose social work as a career in general, how you developed your awareness and understanding of the eco-social work turn within mainstream social work practice, and perhaps give us some stories from that first lengthy eco-social work-oriented placement you completed? Sure, absolutely, Andy. Um, I suppose I had uh, quite a similar story to a lot of the the students in my cohort when I first started thinking about wanting to do a social work degree. Um, and that is when I was in high school, which was, yeah, I graduated in 2016, so I'm still pretty young. Um, I was the person in the friend group that tended to be the one that everyone went to if they had an issue going on for them. Um, And I suppose it's a general sense of just wanting to help people. And I figured the best way that I could do that was to use, you know, use talking, use those skills. 
Um, I, I've always been very much interested in the environment and very much interested in issues surrounding the environment and surrounding climate change. Um, a lot of that's because I am a young person. I'm only 23 years old at, at, uh, during this recording. Um, so thinking about my future and thinking about, for example, potentially starting a family, um, it troubles me the to see, you know, in the news, you know, not a lot of action on climate change, issues coming up as a result of climate change, those sorts of things. Um, and so that that developed my interest in environmental issues personally. Um, but it didn't I didn't develop an interest in eco-social work specifically until I got to my first placement. Um, I hadn't really joined my profession with my interest in environmental issues. Um, until you know, I had a conversation with the supervisors on placement and started to talk about what does what does environmental values really mean in the context of social work practice. Um, so it, it was over the course of my first placement um, at the Darling Downs Environment Council where I really developed an interest in the environment and 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 practicing social work in the in the context of environmental issues. Um, and I suppose some of the some of the things that really instilled those values in me during placement were, uh, for example, a lot of the plantings that we did. So we would take because um, supporting the koala in Australia uh, is a very important thing for a lot of people, and the koalas, you know, experiencing a lot of pressures as a result as a, as a result of you know. Uh, deforestation and natural disasters that are worsened by climate change and that sort of thing. Um, there are community groups that are trying to support caring of injured koalas, and that requires planting, you know, their food, so eucalyptus trees in areas that are suitable. So we did a lot of that while I was on placement, um, and I got the opportunity a couple of times to do that with some local schools, um, which if you've planted trees with, you know, third grade and fourth grade kids, it's a really enjoyable experience. Um, and as an activity, I think it, it does a good job of um, trying to instill environmental values in our next generations, you know, um, which is particularly important as our next generations are the ones that are going to be really copying the brunt of a lot of the consequences of inaction on climate change in present day. Um, but some of the other things that I did were, you know, working alongside a wildlife carer, um, you know, doing labouring jobs, almost like an ethnography with this person, um, and understanding their strengths um, and, and what they bring to the community around environmental issues and around supporting wildlife. Um, I suppose some of the other things that I that I really benefited from and really enjoyed on my placement were uh, participating in campaigns to combat local, uh, I suppose, development of industry um, in, in the local area of Toowoomba, um, and thinking about the reasons why we wouldn't want, you know things being developed through natural forests and actually really coming to the nuance of why these things are bad because there are pros and cons to both decisions, um, which is really difficult and I think reflects a lot of 
um, what you come across in eco-social work practice. There are so many tensions and conflicts. Um, but I suppose these days, eco-social work to me really is about putting environmental values into social work practice. So it's not just leaving it as an afterthought or something that's never being considered or thinking that it's not important to social work because it's social work and not environment work um, because there is a pretty clear rationale in my opinion to for social workers and mainstream social workers to be caring about environmental issues um, there is a clear impact on the clients that we work with so certainly my 500 hours of placement has really solidified in me and my practice framework those environmental values and and those sorts of principles and ethics around environmental justice. Thanks, Bailey. Thanks for that very interesting, you know, background story that's helped set up this interview. I, I know also of the fact that you you know you mentioned some very local uh, environmental community um, capacity building work um, in the Darling Downs region of southeast Queensland um, around Toowoomba. But I know also that, in fact, you know, that sort of local to global connection, you were also involved um, in, you know, presenting uh, along with uh, another student and supervisors um, to an international conference, uh, the IFSW's co-building a new eco-social world, leaving no one behind, uh, which kicked off around, you know, July, uh, June, July, uh, earlier this year. And and that uh, international initiatives produced, um, you know, a very sort of powerful statement about uh, eco-social work practice principles uh, from an international perspective. So it was a very rich um, placement you had there. I mean, you were touching upon that, almost that classic, you know, what is considered, um, you know, global to local um, continuum. So, look, um, building on those in initial comments, uh, you know, a very much linked question, question two now, uh, you know, just ask you, I suppose, to expand on that somewhat, um, you know, taking your wider interest in the eco-social work field into account. You've already started pointing to this, but this second related question will help you build on that. How can eco-social work help tackle climate change and other ecological sustainability concerns in practical terms, in your view? So the practical, I think the practical component of eco-social work is the most difficult part. Um, there are lots of books and lots of theories and lots of really sophisticated academic work that's been done in eco-social work, um, focusing on values and, and, and those sorts of things. But the practical components are a little bit, I think, left behind sometimes. Um, I think I like to approach this question thinking about what areas of social work practice I think resonate best with eco-social work. Um, and I think the top one, obviously, is community development. Um, I think that's a no-brainer. Uh, so much of, I think, some of the issues that we experience around climate change are merely as a product of the way that we've set up communities and society broadly. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have lived on this continent for 40 odd thousand years and, and didn't destroy their environment that they were living in. But in a hundred years, we cause, you know, 10 extinctions of, of animals and we've destroyed forests and polluted air and drained rivers. Um, so clearly the way that we've set up some of our communities and some of our, um, and I suppose Australian society in general, there are some problems, um, obviously. So community development, community development, I think is um, are an area of social work practice that really resonates with eco-social work. Um, but 
it it's more it needs to be more than just community garden beds and that sort of thing um that's not going to deal with some of the issues that we're experiencing in relation to the environment and in relation to climate change um, it really needs to be really broad and creative and systematic transformations in our communities towards more sustainable ways of living um, you know with individuals with families with broader communities um, so that we are treating the environment in a manner that you know so it's going to last you know, for, for thousands more years, not just 50 more years and then collapse. Um, other areas that I think are really important for eco-social work practice are things like advocacy and policy development. Um, social workers have the skills to be able to advocate on behalf of the environment. Um, if we can advocate on behalf of people living with a disability, we can advocate on behalf of the environment. We have that. We have that skill set. Um, so I think that advocacy is a, is a really strong space for social work, and there's a lot of practical work that can be done there, just in terms of communicating environmental values um, and communicating issues in relation to the environment in a manner that's not hostile. Um, you know, climate change can be a really hot topic in Australian political discourse um, and social workers, uh, you know, have the ability to communicate things in manner, in ways that are, you know, calmer and more approachable for, for people that have felt like they've been pushed out of the discussion, you know. Um, you know, we, we can empower people to be a part of um, environmental movements when uh, other people would, you know, uh, push them out and, and, and not consider their voice valuable. Um, older Australians, for example, uh, their voice should be just as important as younger younger Australians, even though some would say that they might not live as long. Um, but that doesn't mean that obviously their voice is not valuable. Um, policy development is important. I think it's extremely important. Um, Transitioning our current society over to one that treats the environment with more respect is not something that doesn't have consequences. Um, there are entire communities that exist currently specifically because they are close to certain resources. Um, there are entire families that exist whose identities are tied to particular professions, um, like in mining, for example. Transitioning away from fossil fuels, as important as it is to climate change, requires telling all these people to just change their identities, um, change their livelihoods, um, which is not a small thing to do. That's a huge transition. We understand that as social workers. Um, so in terms of policy development, making sure that the benefits but also the downsides of transitions to more sustainable societies are evenly distributed across um, different groups and populations is really important. And I think social workers can uh, have a big role in in in, uh, in that. Um, an area that I really like in terms of uh, eco-social work are mental health and disability, um, to get really sort of specific. There are so many young people that feel uh, extremely anxious and extremely terrified about the future just because of climate change amongst all the other issues that are going on, um, you know, there's no way that that's not having an impact on them. Um, I personally have been reflecting on whether or not I think it's really ethical to be having children um, and bringing them up knowing that uh, leaders around the world are perhaps not doing as much as they can. Um, 
you know, we could ask questions about whether or not we think that it's right to raise families knowing that they will be going up against those kinds of challenges. Um, that, that would be an interesting ethical debate, I suppose. Um, disability, I find really interesting. Uh, I did a piece of work recently at uni looking at an advocacy strategy um, in the context of disability. And I find it interesting because personally, I think that we have a right to access to pristine natural environments. Um, there is research that exists that shows uh, being in natural spaces or being in blue spaces near rivers and beaches, for example, is just good for your mental health. Um, it's That's just a fact. Uh, but people with a disability face some really unique challenges in, be, in, in dealing with environmental issues, you know. Um, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would probably disagree with paving concrete through natural forests so that someone in a wheelchair could access it. Um, but I think that kind of discussion represents a really tricky and, in my opinion, core tension in eco-social work is that sometimes we can't match our needs with the needs of the environment. So people with a disability um, and living with a disability face some really unique challenges, for example, in terms of dealing with natural disasters. Um, so we've had a lot of natural disasters recently in Queensland and in New South Wales. Um, the floods, we've been flooded several times. Some towns have been flooded several times. Um, and you think about, you know, a person living with a disability who requires a wheelchair or an electric chair. They, you know, a flash flooding warning is a completely different message to them than to someone that's not living with a disability, right? And that represents a huge challenge. And for some of the people with living living with a disability, um, that might be an intellectual disability or a neurodevelopment um, disability, also face some really unique challenges in um, dealing with natural disasters, and that's a part of eco-social work practice as well. I think, in my opinion. Hey, Bailey, listen, thank you very much for that very comprehensive take um, on areas of eco-social practice uh, that social workers might look at. I was very much taken, you know, just a couple of points out of that. Um, but you made that very interesting um, link to the fact that many of the skills that uh, social workers, you know, will use in an eco-social work orientation are existing social work skills, you know, advocacy being uh, a prime example. But these skills... And and also social education and stuff like that. They can be dusted off, you know, um, to follow a bit of a pun here. I suppose black soot or carbon particles can be dusted off um, these skills and they can be used in response to physical environmental concerns in addition to the social environmental concerns that are usually the bread and butter of social work. And then you you also made that point around the very the important um, area of policy development, how social workers might well get involved with that. And it just struck me that, again, you know, in some of the actual student placements in the Toowoomba Darling Downs area, um, linked both to DDEC, Darling Downs Environment Council and the lake, local hospital, some of the students um, on eco-social work oriented placements have been involved in, amongst other things, um, developing a public health and climate disruption research project on, for instance, how to perhaps best provide community vulnerability assessments in relation to heat wave impacts that could take place on local communities. So, you know, making that direct link between the aggravating effect of climate disruption and the increasing um, rate of heat wave 
effects on the elderly, perhaps, as you as you perhaps were pointing to before as a client group, but just that public health and climate change nexus and students getting involved in active original research around that. So that policy development, original research going, you know, perhaps hand in glove. So thanks again for, for all those comments. Um, gave us a good smorgasbord then. But just for the purpose of spelling out the importance of eco-social work adoption to the mainstream, I ask each guest what might be termed the so what question. And more specifically, that question is, why should the mainstream social work profession be involved with physical environmental concerns, such as dangerous and disruptive climate change impacts and other human-induced environmental damage, such as the growing loss of nature? Well, my cheap answer to this question would be that if you're a social worker working in Australia, you are bound by the Code of Ethics, which includes in it some components in relation to environmental justice. Um, it's just there. You know, it's it's in our Code of ethic, Ethics. Um, we have a responsibility to follow the Code of Ethics as best as possible, um, and environmental justice, justice is a part of that. It's not a huge component of the Code of Ethics, and in my opinion, it, it feels a little bit like an afterthought. Um, and, and certainly I think that environmental justice should be more specifically spelled out in the AASW's Code of Ethics so that it's clearer to students that we do have a stake in the game um, in terms of environment, environmental issues, um, as opposed to being just, I think, three lines in the entire document. Um, but there is there is so much research that already exists that spells out uh, that you know human society has such a, such an important relationship with the environment. Um, it is so absolutely key to our existence um, and ensuring that the environment is healthy is ensuring that we are healthy. Um, things that we take for granted, you know things like clean drinking water or just access to drinking water. Um, is important. That's a part of eco-social work practice. Um, there are, you know, during serious times of drought, there are communities that have to get water trucked in, um, which is a various, a very curious fact to to behold, in my opinion. Um, but then things like when you look at large corporations that threat community threaten communities' access to water, um, which I, I won't name for reasons. Um, that's that you know that 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 is a problem for for communities because like you need water to live and some organisations will um, explicitly project a view that water is not considered a human right by them. Um, so you know organisations like that do sort of in a sense pose a threat to to communities and as such social workers have a responsibility to um, advocate on behalf of communities for things like that um touching on you know when i touched on mental health earlier there is a very clear impact of the environment on mental health um, with young people considering not having children because of climate change that is not an easy thing to bear you know um i think most people would consider having children a right you know so long as you are a capable and willing parent having children should be just considered your human right um you know does inaction on climate change threaten that you know, um, if so, that's an issue for if an issue for social workers. You know, as as we uphold human rights in our practice. Touching on uh, what you just mentioned, Andy, um, in relation to 
uh, other health fields, being, you know, living with a disability or living with a severe mental illness or being low socioeconomic or having other chronic health conditions makes you a larger risk for severe uh, weather events like um, heat waves, like flooding, like bushfires and flash, um, uh, those sorts of events. Um, these are the people that we work with. Um, so in, in in that sense, there is uh, a very clear rationale. Um, what I think too is that not only do we have a rationale in terms of some of the issues in relation to the environment, but we undervalue what the environment really is. And I think we, I think particularly in in uh, Western Australian culture, we've stuck in the environment in a role that doesn't have a lot of strength. I think um, often we look at the environment socially and culturally as either a resource to be extracted and used or something that is a nuisance, you know, um, and that's been reflect reflected in, you know, Queensland policy in the past with um, chain clearing. Uh, it's just a reflection of a value or a belief of the environment as a nuisance. Forests didn't need to be chain cleared in some circumstances, but they were anyway. Um, so there's no, there seems to be, I think, culturally and, and in the discourse, not a lot of recognition of the environment's inherent value, um, which is an issue because I've met people personally, which I suppose this is anecdotal, but uh, so I know there, there are people that I've met that, um, you know, when they've lost family members, have gone into local forests to assist in their grieving processes. Um, I think if you have, if you ask the average person whether or not they think that going into a forest can can support you through grieving i think they're likely to say not really um and i think that's a reflection of sort of the cultural and social roles that we have imposed upon the environment here in australia um in a very limiting sense um you know thinking about my future practice and where, where i want to take my social work degree um you know I've thought about potentially one day trying and working towards becoming an accredited mental health social worker. Um, and this is someone who has the skills and provides therapy to people. Um, so this is in a mental health context or a relationship context. Um, and having environmental values as a part of my practice framework, I don't see why people wouldn't fill a therapy room with pot plants and running water. Um, you know, if, one of the most important aspects of working with people, particularly people who um, have experienced trauma or have experienced traumatic events, safety is extremely important, if not the most important thing in that situation. Um, and, and what a better way to remove the intense, clinical, clean feeling of a therapy room sometimes to just fill it with plants. You know, plants are calming, you know, it's Fresh air, running water can be, you know, like white noise can be a distraction. Um, I think there's a lot of power there in in really bringing eco-social work into mainstream areas of practice. Um, I think it can it has a lot of strength and can do a lot of work to supplement a lot of the stuff that we're already doing every single day. Um, so I think just in general, the the rationale for social work is to really care about environmental issues is it's beyond clear um it's just a matter of of getting the profession to really take it seriously i think 
Well, again, Bailey, <clears throat> thank you so much for such a comprehensive but also compelling and convincing answer. It was very rich uh, coverage of content there. You touched upon the ethical basis, the ethical underpinning of why mainstream social work practice should be involved with eco-social work um, approaches. Uh, you made that link at various points, but nicely encapsulated that link between social justice objectives, um, you know, the key focus for mainstream social work and its direct link to environmental and ecological justice. And also perhaps, you know, coming in towards that, perhaps some linkage around that mental health dimension, um, but both physical and mental, uh, physical and mental well-being of, of uh, communities and therefore clients ultimately, the need to perhaps reconceptualize the way we value the natural world and understand um, its true valuation, you know, beyond a purely monetary valuation, which um, unfortunately business as usual approaches uh, usually ends us up with at the present time. So thank you for that very interesting set of responses. And now as we, you know, move on through this uh, interview, and whilst nobody has a crystal ball to achieve precise predictions, and I ask each of my guests to imagine a preferred future for eco-social work practice over the short to midterm future, say the next two to 10 years. So the specific question now becomes for you. So in your view, what could or should the future hold for eco-social work interventions and practice development across the short to midterm future? My response to this question is a little bit pessimistic. Um, it is just a reality in Australia that there are not enough social workers graduating to cover the growth, the projected growth in child safety alone. Um, you know, that's not to mention all of the other areas that social workers are working in, like housing and homelessness and domestic and family violence and mental health and all the other areas. Um, and, and social workers even now are strapped to find time to do anything other than the key components of their work. Um, you just don't have the energy or the space to be thinking about creative and innovative new new ways of practice, at least I think for the most part, um, which, you know, would mean that eco-social work uh, would likely continue to be sort of a fringe area of practice for a lot of social workers and, and may only really be limited to the social workers that are keenly interested in environmental issues um, and keenly interested in, in environmental values in their practice frameworks. Um, they might be the only ones that are really thinking about eco-social work and trying to implement that in, in their practice. Um, I think part of the issue, though, is that, at least in my experience, tertiary education for social work does not really include eco-social work. Um, you know, I won't necessarily speak on behalf of the, the the universities that I have not attended, but at least at the University of Queensland, eco-social work is almost not there. Um, there is not a lot of eco-social work practice in any of the courses. There's no specific course on eco-social work practice. And honestly, you could go your four years barely touching it and forgetting it, to be honest. Um, uh, I know there are academics at, at uh, UQ that are keenly interested in eco-social work practice, particularly as an innovative field of practice. Um, but I would I would really advocate for universities to consider seriously putting eco-social work um, into their social work degrees, particularly because of climate change. Um, we know that climate change 
uh, is going to impact literally everyone. Um, it is going to make issues concerning child safety and domestic and family violence more prevalent. Um, natural disasters, for example, place huge stress on families, which is going to feed into all of the practice areas that we already work in. Um, you know, I think you could almost make an argument that universities that are not considering eco-social work or not considering climate change as a serious issue are not preparing future social workers for the world that they're going to be going into, um, which is obviously a problem. Um, and I think if we want more social workers to have environmental justice as a part of their sort of core values in relation to their practice, we need to be teaching them about it. Um, we need, you know, it can't just be the lucky odd student who gets to go on an eco-social work placement who gets to have environmental values and knowledge about environment and how it impacts practice. Um, it needs to be a part of, of, of the degree as a whole if we want it to be, you know, considered like more placed by more social workers in their, in their practice frameworks. And seeing as it's a part of the AESW's code of ethics, there is, I think, a justification that eco-social work is placed into the degrees in some serious uh, sense, you know. Um, maybe not a whole course, but at least um, uh, some good education on what, what, what the core components of eco-social work are and maybe at least in some of the specific courses about specific topics like mental health or child, youth and family, uh, there are some eco-social work components pushed into there so that we understand what impact environmental issues are having on these different areas of practice. Um, given that there is more research coming out on the impact uh, and more generally the relationship between society and the environment, I think eco-social work certainly isn't going to disappear or stagnate. It's here to stay. Um, and particularly around things like green therapies in mental health, um, we are going to be seeing more resources and um, more systematic ways of incorporating the environment into our practice. Um, just, you know, and, and like with action on climate change, the change is not going to come quick enough, um, you know, for eco-social work. Um, I know some of the academics that are writing in eco-social work advocate for social work as a, as a, as a profession to really kind of uproot itself and completely realign uh, the entire profession more with environmental values, um, particularly in relation to where social work as a profession was born and the values of the time and I suppose the, uh, the assumptions about the world at the time. Um, I don't strictly agree with this. Um, I, I take more of a middle position in regards to this. I think the environment is really seriously important to practice, um, but I don't think social work needs to completely realign itself so that the environment, it, it, the environment's like really at the core. Um, and and my justification, at least, uh, what I think is that there are still going to be areas of practice where the environment is not a key component of, for example, decision-making, you know? Um, if you're listening and you're a CSO right now, a child safety officer, you're probably not going to be thinking about the environment when you're making a decision about whether or not to remove a child, you know? It's not a core component of your decision-making. You know, you're gonna be thinking about things like safety, about maintaining 
proximity and connection to family members and kin, that kind of thing, as opposed to, you know, the environment. Um, but likewise, it's still, it still can be an important component of practice in child safety, um, particularly around the issues that I touched before around creating a sense of safety. Children need to be outside, you know, they need to be outside in the yard, they need to be outside experiencing nature, um, getting their getting their toes in the dirt and feeling that it's good for them. Um, and it's it's in those ways I think that eco-social work comes to the mainstream areas of practice like child safety or domestic and family violence or housing. I just want to take a couple of points from a, a range of stuff you raised there. I think the very practical issue that you raised near the beginning of, you know, where will the future jobs be in the eco-social work field? I mean, if we really want to see eco-social work, whether you consider that to be a turn, a framing, a distinctive um, specialism, uh, but if we want to see it take off to a greater extent, there has to be career paths, uh, practical career paths for um, newly qualifying, particularly newly qualifying workers to go into. Um, they, they need to earn a living, obviously, and... Uh, we need more career entry points. But I suppose the, the key issue then, the question becomes, how how is that going to be created? I've had a couple of inquiries recently, actually, just on this subject of uh, existing social workers, you know, um, asking me, um, contacting me, asking me what, what I thought about ways that they might be able to move into more environment-oriented work. So I think it is, it's not just an academic, I think it's quite a moot point. Um, who is actually ultimately responsible for getting more eco-social work jobs created. I mean, you you touched upon the, the role of the training institutions there. Um, there's also the Peak Professional Association in Australia, but also the employing organisation. So it's, um, you know, a, bit, a rhetorical question to be asked here at the present time, but I think somebody needs to be looking at it. Um, and perhaps somebody is. I'm not really aware of that, but um, career <laughs> pathways for newly qualifying social workers that can actually, you know, get into direct eco-social work oriented jobs because they do exist and they are created as opposed to having to hunt around for whatever sort of marginal employment opportunities might exist as it currently as, as is currently the case and then the other point you made which is about the limitations frankly of or in your perspective anyway the, the possible limitations of the applicability of eco-social work um, to certain areas of practice um, for instance child protection domestic violence and I, all i would say about that is and again this almost perhaps comes back to an earlier point we were making about research although there isn't a large amount of research but there is a body of it and it is growing that even though those areas that might have been considered at one time to be above and beyond physical environmental effects. We know, for instance, that um, increased heat wave disruption onto communities can have an effect on, um, well, this is the reported uh, you know, uh, point from the research, can have an effect on um, existing social disruptions, criminal activity and violent behaviour, you know, that, that connects to stuff like child protection and domestic violence. So I think even there, we need more research to be done to actually consolidate our understanding of how, you know, the increasing um, natural environmental impacts of uh, disruptive climate, for instance, can impact on those sort of social determinants of uh, community level and public health. But look, now coming to the end of this really fantastic interview, Bailey, and you've given us um, and the audience listening in podcast land um, so many ide great ideas to consider after this po podcast. I think you really fulfilled that vision at the beginning of a, a critical thinker who's brought up, you know, some really fresh points. And 
in order for you know the idea that people tend to remember the first and last thing they hear in any sort of presentation in order to further summarize for the listeners do you have a short take-home message or one key idea from our conversation today that you think well represents your particular take on the subject of eco-social work practice ah i think i think my take-home message to you know, any social workers that might be listening to this podcast would be to, you know, if you have love for the environment in your personal life, you can make that a professional thing as well. And to not be afraid to try and stick the environment into the work that you're doing um, in in creative, in creative ways. Um, you know, you don't have to stick to the mainstream you know, you can, you can, I mean, your practice framework and, and the way that you do things is uniquely you, you know, and that's an important part of being a social worker is bringing what, bring, bringing what's genuine um, and uniquely you to the table um, in your, in your work with clients or with groups. Um, and I don't think, I don't see any reason why the impart, the environment can't be a part of that. Um, so don't be afraid to, um, read a book about eco-social work or to just even reflect with your own colleagues or supervisors around, you know, how do we think the environment is related to the work that we're doing at, at whatever organisation that you might be working at. Um, don't be afraid. It's, it's eco-social work's kind of pioneering stuff a little bit. So be the pioneers, you know, develop new ideas, get creative, get innovative um, with, <laughs> I suppose, the little time that you do have. But if you want to do it, jump and do it. Bailey, that what a nice rounding off of the actual discussion and um, an inspiring rallying call to colleagues out there. Um, that completes the interview. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you today. As a younger, I hope it's okay to say that, as a younger, soon-to-qualify professional who I'm sure will make a major contribution to social work in whatever roles you choose to adopt. And within this podcast, I'm certain you've given our audience some great ideas about eco-social work, which can help inform their own thinking and help them start further conversations on the subject of eco-social work adoption with their friends, colleagues, within employing organisations or in their professional associations. For now, it just remains on behalf of my support organisation, Household Options to Protect the Environment, to thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Andy. And uh before we go, I'd just like to show my appreciation as well and acknowledge you for, for um, I suppose, believing that a student's perspective is valuable to hear. You know, um, there are lots of podcasts on eco-social work and they're all filled with experts. Um, it, it's I, it's um, I really appreciate being given the opportunity to um, be on here and talk about something that I love, despite the fact that I'm not really an expert yet. So thank you very much, Andy. Thank you, Bailey. You've been listening to a podcast episode in the series Eco-Social Work in Australia, produced for Householders' Options to Protect the Environment. Please consult the episode text notes for possible references to topics discussed and relevant contact details should you wish to respond to anything you've heard. My name is Andrew Nicholson, producer of the series, and thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast episode, please consider giving it a rating in your podcast app and if you have a story to tell about eco-social work practice and might be interested in the opportunity to be interviewed for the series, 
please get in touch with me directly using the contact details provided in the episode notes.